Greetings and welcome to episode 12 of Critcast. Today we're looking at, well, Underworld's balance and it's our subjective opinions on it. But once again, today I'm joined by Rob, a different Rob. This is, you might be familiar with him, Rob Gilmore. Hello, Rob. How are you? Yeah, I'm good, John. I'm, well, I'm maybe a little bit hungover, but overall I'm pretty good today. Well, that's interesting. A lot of that's quite normal for most regular Underworlds players. It's not really oddly too much of a surprise. You would be surprised how many of my interviewees turn up hungover or turn up to a Grand Clash or tournament hungover. Yeah, no, no comment on that. I think last Grand Clash I was at, I was still building the deck whilst walking to the uh, to the venues. Mad. We'd like, been out the night before. I still think my favourite one who was like... Um, it's not mocking him. He may get upset, but David Smee, like he was the trooper. He literally came to a he traveled like drove you guys up to a grand clash yeah. and was like rottenly sick. And instead of just doing the smart thing and resting it in the hotel room, he 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 came and played. And he was basically like I could see it. It was the worst. I think it was the worst grand clash he played in because he went two and two, so two wins and two yeah. losses. But was, he looked like I was death. rooming with him. We were room sharing. Oh, you poisoned so him then? He, well, no, he, he he got back. He drove everyone up, checked into the hotel and went to bed. And I went out on the piss. <laughs> 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 I imagine me clunking around at two in the morning probably didn't help him much. Really. Oh, it's like yeah. He looks curse. after me when we go, to, we go to those things, despite him being the sick one, you know, he sort of made me a cup of tea in the morning and said, come on, Rob, it's time to get up now. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, he is a very giant man who could, crush all of us if he if he got really powerful so <laughs> that's weird no, no comment <laughs> he's a very big man I, i'm tall but he's he's the giant of reading he's larger uh, than life literally <laughs> but this is praising to me so don't worry we're not criticizing right, we'll, like a, we'll, we'll wail on him later i'm sure yeah of course we'll have to make up for it later. but yes so uh before we get into the main subject matter rob i mean we haven't really been up too much, unfortunately. Like, I don't think there was much difference, but I will use this time. If you're not aware, Rob is actually a really good painter as well as gamer. So what's your Instagram again? Uh, Rob Hobbies. Uh, oh, yeah, that's it. Just yeah, just He's Rob actually a really Hobbies. good painter. He's like, well, you're going into underpainting now, right? No, you've done underpainting. I've been experimenting with mood through underpainting. Sounds really pretentious, doesn't it? But basically yes. doing... So normally when we paint a model, we just do the, the shadows a darker colour. Yeah. Of So, you know, if, if you're doing it red, you do it dark red, and then you do the highlight in a sort of pink or an orange or something. But I'm sort of experimenting with doing the shadows in uniform, underpainted colours um, to try and create weird atmosphere and stuff. Um, it's a head-scratcher. Let's get, I'm getting there, I think. Yeah, it's confusing until you see it done, then it makes sense. Yeah. Right? It's just like you've gone crazy with the paint. Like, your painting game is so good. Well, I'm high risk of COVID, right? So I've had a year and a half stuck in a room. <laughs> so I had to do something. Exactly. Uh, but, yeah, if you weren't aware, guys, today... Well, weirdly... So I did an article a week ago about where's the FAQ because Underworld has been a year without an FAQ. And then uh, an errata dropped literally the, the 25th of June, the week after. So, you know, I, I, if people still want the, um, the new FAQ, I guess I have to make a post about a forsaken and restricted list and then we'll get an FAQ because I asked for an FAQ and we get a far update. So, you know, we're living in crazy times with my power. <laughs> oh, God, it's gone to your head. 
I know. I'm, you can thank me in the comments. Um, no, but like, so to say, we're not going to totally focus on the new Forsaken and Restricted list because obviously I like this thing, these things to be timeless. And but we're going to touch upon it because so, I think it's a really good talking point for Underworld's balance in general because it's a really subjective matter and people yeah. have huge varying opinions of what they deem as healthy and what they deem is good for the game. And obviously, like me and Rob, especially me, we have like very, some would say surprising, but strong opinions on balance. And it's obviously going to disagree with others. But I think it's a good subject matter. Are we opinionated people? I don't think I'm an opinionated person. People think I'm opinionated, so I'm just going <laughs> to roll with it. Uh, but if, if we look at the latest Forsaken and Restricted list, it was updated in May 2021, which is new. They normally never state this, so this is actually some cool formatting because I think it makes it better than uh, well, it's like if you're referencing it, but you know, like they've banned, like if you look at it, they've banned a core set card, which is amazing because mm-hmm. it means they're more willing to ban stuff that's even in a core set. Restricted some core set cards, but they've restricted a lot of cards, and instead of going through the entire Forsaken and Restricted list. We'll just go over what we think themes have been hit because there's a lot of cards that have been hit because, you know, it's been six months. I think it's like nearly 20 cards got restricted. Well, and banned, but that was just one. But I think it's good to look over what has been hit now. And then obviously, because I am a very sad person, I remember all the other previous restricted lists because <laughs> I'm insane. Uh, but, you know, if we look at the current are a forsaken and restricted list for championship because they did not update the Vanguard document. So essentials card are not legal for Vanguard still, but Vanguard also has no restricted list and banned list. Right. So, you know, that's good clarity. But enough of that. I mean, if well, we look not, at the objective... We're not having official tournaments for that yet, are we? No. So. I mean, some places are trying, bless their soul. But, yeah. Um, yeah. But if if you look, you can already see they've hit a lot of control stuff. And when you talk about control, I think a big thing to highlight now with control, because we're going to talk about control a lot, is control has two main branches. You've got turtle control, which is sitting at the back of the board, drawing cards and scoring glory while doing nothing, basically. And you're trying to deny and control your opponent's glory gain. Then I've got what you call proper control where you are very like positional controlling. You're trying to control where your opponents go in, where they want to go, where they place their fighters, and you're trying to control what they do, basically. It's way more difficult to do, but it's a better version of control. Like I would say proper control is you know, proper control, and then total control is lazy control. Bad game design. Um, yeah, maybe. It's interesting. Yeah. I've, I've never really thought of them as two different things, but I suppose what you're calling um, proper, I've always, you know, I think that's when I'm playing that way, I think I, in my head I'm going, right, I need to sit back for a round and power up. What can I do to stop him scoring for a round? Um, well, it may, yes, so I suppose that is a form of control. Yeah, because yeah, like the, the greatest thing about proper control is um, what you do is you sit back for a turn because you're like, trying to gauge your opponent because you actually spend that first turn reading your opponent's actions. Because one of the great things about playing that play style is if you sit back for a turn, there's a good chance your opponent immediately goes on tilt going, oh, you're going to sit at the back of the board doing nothing. I'm just going to move up. 
yeah. then you can go, cool, now I know how they're going to play. Or they sit back and do nothing and go, cool, they're trying to like out turtle me, but I like if they do nothing for a round or run towards you, those are huge giveaways which you can then play around. But yeah. that's a that's another subject. But if if you look at what they've hit, they've hit like cover ground, which was even though you have to move six hex six hexes in a move action, you could move around in a circle. So yeah. that with you could technically move two hexes but run around in a circle. So you could score that in your own half. A show of force which is supposed to be more aggressive, but you can score it by having three upgrades. So because you've scored by having fighters in and, enemy territory. And that's how most people are scoring it, isn't it? Yeah, I mean the three upgrades. I think I've only ever scored it the aggro way with my Elethane Soul Raid. Because they just have to get into enemy territory and maybe yeah. rip the snow fangs. But you can do that with them activation one as well, activation exactly. two if, with the fish. But then they've hit a lot of stuff like all the Mortis Relics, a lot of the Arena Mortis cards because they're broken outside of Arena Mortis. Yeah, they were insanely strong, those cards, weren't they? Yeah. And then they've hit basically upgrades that would stack on fighters. Yeah. And also stuff like Proud Runner. Proud Runner is silly because it's amazing in a control deck. And you would go, why? Because it's like an aggro player would invest all their effort to kill you for that glory. But the key thing about Proud Runner Say you're against an aggro player, they they've spent four activations to get primers. They go, cool, now I can trigger all my stuff. You're you've got the last activation. You go, I'm gonna move five hexes, I've got the primacy token, and you shut down the deck. Yeah, it's a you know, it's a strong upgrade with sort of, it gives you the extra movement and the uh and the primacies, you know, that's a lot of effects. Exactly. And I, I was surprised at a couple I was surprised at Slick Rock. I remember when yeah. that came out and everyone was like, oh, this is really powerful. I've maybe had it played against me once. Exactly. I mean, um, Slick Rock is, it feels like someone just didn't like Slick Rock more than every, anyone would think because it hasn't really been used. And hold objective players weren't really concerned about Slick Rock. They were like, please get rid of Mischievous Spirits, which has been restricted. Yeah. And that makes, you know, the card like Mischievous Spirits. And I think, you know, most of the cards that they've hit are ones that have really powerful effects. You know, like Proud Runner's got a big effect. Mischievous Spirits, you, you can't really undo. Restless Prize, which obviously been there in a little while, you can't undo without two pushes in hand. You know, so it makes sense. Um, so, yeah, Slick Rock surprised me. I'm surprised by Ferocious Resistance being banned. I know you think I'm, it's amazing, but... I'm not surprised. So <sighs> if, if you look at this Forsaken and Restricted yeah. as a whole... This is a big hit towards big guys, so basically Molog and Rothborn yeah. and stacking. So one thing, the problem with Molog was Ferocious Resistance broke all his matchups. Like, they made them ridiculous. But you, and, you talk about it as if it's a guaranteed bunch of wounds healed off. Oh, yeah, it's not guaranteed. I would like, reckon on average it's as good as healing potion. Yes, but the problem is there there's the potential for Molog to be in one wound and heal all his wounds yeah. back. But, all right. So I would counter that <laughs> with rebound has the potential to for you to kill yourself and for your opponent to win the game. It, I think rebound has as strong a game effect and I don't know the maths, but I can't imagine it's a, a huge difference there. Yeah. I, that, that's, <sighs> that's kind of my instinct, but I'm I'm not upset to see it go, and I think one of my play group asked me yesterday, you know, has your deck been hit much? And because I didn't have any restricted card, I only had one restricted card in it. I was like, well, I'll ditch Furious Resistance and stick in Healing Potion, probably. You know. But I think on a four wound 
fight for that. That makes sense. But sure, you know, now you've said about Molog or Hrothgorn, I suppose it makes more sense. But Oh, yeah. I mean, there was someone posted about their Hrothgorn deck as like, I went from one restricted card to 12 <laughs> restricted cards <laughs> and a bad card. Oh, that's, so, a ba- that's a bad day, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, like, my record is still um, with the first Forsaken Unrestricted list, because all of a sudden I went from... Was it nothing. 32 restricted cards? <laughs> yeah, but I, I had... 19 cards on my deck hit so i had three cards banned and 16 cards restricted wow. <laughs> but that was a uh, peak shades by a nightfall that like my deck deserved that and everyone was um, in the same deck weren't they like everyone yeah. just had the same probably 19 cards in their deck yeah the problem oh, is with my skaven it was unbeatable but i think overall when i look at this far i'm pleased with it yeah yeah i think it's really good I, I I much prefer this one to the last one they did because the last one felt really lazy. Um, like I still don't get why daylight robbery is restricted, but whatever it is. <laughs> I suppose again, it's that thing at the right time that can have a huge impact on the game. Yeah, but it's an essentials uh, card. So. Yeah, I agree, but you know. But I'm, I I really like this overall. Some people are like, oh, you know, you've hit Molog too hard, and I was like, Molog should have been hit this hard in Night Vault. So, because if you look at, he was one of them, his control upgrade stacking build was one of the big problems. And you had to specifically tech and continually practice to beat that. And you're like, oh, you know, that's fine. You know, you're, you're, you're using tech and practice, like, yeah. you know, but you don't understand. It would skew you against other matchups. So, and I think we were talking about this on stream the other week, which was back then when Molog first came out everyone had anti-monog tech in their deck. Yes. And it was just a, like, that was a phrase that seemed normal in my life for a little while. Yeah, everyone's like, oh, you've got rebound? Yeah, I've got rebound. And what, I, monog? Yeah, I probably had three cards in my deck to, that were specific for the monog matchup that were not much use in other games. Um, or they, you know, they were useful, but not as good. But now we're nearing, how many, what, we're at 32 warbands now? 36, I think, 36. 38. Yeah, oh, the whole something. World Cup, couldn't we? Yeah. Um, so having cards in your deck specifically for one matchup seems more oh, <laughs> like you've got to be playing in a meta where you are guaranteed to come up against that matchup for it to be worthwhile. Yeah, because teching is very different in Underworld. Because like, I remember when we teched but with our Curse Breaker, we were like, well, we got our Molog tech, and then we didn't yeah. run into any Mologs. Yeah. <laughs> we were like, we were basically running 19 cards deck against each other because we just, we like, we were drawing key cards and we are like, oh, these are our Molog tech oh, cards. That'd be really good right now if I was playing against yeah. Molog. <laughs> <laughs> but this is the thing, like the, the way Underworlds, because people have been trying to say sideboards are needed, but the way Underworlds cards work. If Sorry, you could can I free- just pause you? What's, what do you mean by sideboard? So that's basically having an outside selection of cards you can swap around between round between games, like in a best of three okay. after the first game or during the like the f- before the first game you could go oh my opponent's running this I'll swap cards around like okay. if you could tech like that it would be too powerful in Underworlds because tech cards like tech cards are too strong if you could freely swap them during a game but because you have to lock mm. in they become very skewing in terms of yes you have to look at your tech card going. How will this help me in general? And is it worth sacrificing? But that's another thing entirely. Interesting like, idea, but yeah. Not sure. broken, trust me. <laughs> uh, like Cleave and um, and Snare would be broken because you would always take those upgrades. Yeah. Like that's just a, that's just the tip of the ice cream. Mm. But if you were playing Diachasm a lot or aware of the current meta, 
The biggest one was stacking lots of upgrades, like Deserved Confidence was silly and just stuck in all the Mortis Relics because they all gave bonuses as well. Mm-hmm. And then they've hit a lot of Moloch stuff. They've yeah. also, interestingly, hit a lot of Range 1 aggro and Hunter stuff. Like, I understand why they've hit Savage Visage because it has a hell... I'm surprised they didn't ban it because it has a really silly rules interaction. So Savage Visage basically is... Um, you get a reroll depending on how many hunter keywords you have on your upgrades. Right. But the issue is, like, clearly the intention is one card per reroll. So if you had a, a card that said hunter three times, you should only get one reroll. Right. Unfortunately, there are cards that say hunter on their upgrade more than once. <laughs> so you could end up having like five rerolls, even though you could only reroll right. like two dice. So that that's why it's restricted. Right. But um, generally, they've hit stacking stuff. So stacking upgrades, aggro, range one aggro at least, and control stuff. And I suppose the range one aggro has been hit a little bit because it's it's got to that point where it's really easy to one-shot fight four-wound fighters, hasn't it? Oh, yeah. It's like, I think a more interesting hit in general would be restricting great fort- uh, great strength. I think that would be more interesting. But it's a, isn't that an essentials card? And Daylight Robbery has been restricted. The daylight and robbery has been restricted. Yeah, they've opened the gates. But th- this is the thing. So they, they, as you know, all forsaken and restricted lists are reactive to the meta they're in, unless Ooh. the card cards are banned because they just don't mechanically work and are broken. But that's what we can say from this current forsaken and restricted list. They've also hit a ton of faction cards like Morgox. They've hit all their like um, easy control objectives. So got it, yeah. boss. Which I think they should have hit the other one. Their faction hidden purpose, but that's just me. Because at least with Gutted Boss, they had to get into your territory. Then, like, their damage negation. They've hit Mologs. I believe Foul Temper is his awakened weapon, just to hit hurt his yeah. accuracy. Yeah. And then Ripper's Crawl Hunters is more of a control upgrade, I would say. Even though it requires uh, two enemy fighters out of action, all you just have to be is in enemy territory. No, uh, I think it's one enemy fighter out of action and two or more fighters in enemy territory. Something like that. Right. So uh, it's, it's, it's another, feels like an auto-score for them, really. Yeah, it's auto to glory. And then fleeting memories because Lady Howe's more flight broken. So, but that—that's what this far list has done. Just is it on the far or the errata? No, it's on the errata. Should we talk about the errata for a little bit? Or yeah, because far comes with errata. So the two erratas is Molo can now no longer charge after, in, like he can't do any super actions after when he's inspired. So if he's charged, he can't. No, he can't activate at all. He can only um, uh, if he, he has can a move token. If he's charged, can't he? Yeah. He can't make any super actions after making a super action. Yeah, he can't charge and charge again, but he can't, can charge and attack. Yes. So he and then could if he move, gets charge, token. attack? No, because the uh, charge would be a second token. Yeah, let me just bring it up. Uh, they, it's been FAQ'd so many times, that. And it, it's never the same as it's written on the fighter card. <laughs> well, this is the problem, right? This is why it should have dropped with an FAQ, because you need, kind of need an FAQ. So Molog's new inspired ability is... Uh, this fighter can make a ch- move or charge action even if it has one move token. So he cannot charge and then do any actions. In addition, oh no, in addition, even when this fighter has one charge token, it can still be activated but cannot make super actions. So he can't use a scything attack because even though it doesn't say scything, he's still doing multiple attack actions yeah. or multiple actions as part of a single action, which counts as a super action. Yeah. And he, he can charge and attack, but he can't charge and charge, which was the biggest problem. So he's been toned down a lot. I mean, arguably, th- this really should have been done in Night Vault, but whatever. I, f- I feel like that's hit him 
really hard to split that sort of. I mean, I kind of it is, but it's I'm kind of like get in the bin monologue. I don't Sorry. Like that monologue. Get in the bin, Molog. I don't, I don't like. It's just fine. I, don't, yeah, I won't be sad. It's got the coolest model in the game. Really, the, I, the I, I like everything. Is up... Cooler than the uh, crab. I'm sorry. I I agree with you. Um, what? I thought you I, loved I do. the crab. I do, but the spike shroom is it's got a better face. It's absolutely insane. <laughs> but it's like I don't it. like Molog's model. I like his warband. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Fair. But then they've also. Uh, Another odd thing, they've also errated. It's a test rule, but for Kagra's Ravagers. So they now need two desecration tokens to inspire, which I'll cover like in an article, but it, but it doesn't do anything for the warband. Their problem is not inspiring. Their problem is desecration tokens stopping them holding objectives. That's no, the biggest problem. No, I really like that because they gain a little bit from inspiring, don't they? They gain, I think, a little bit of damage. Um, uh, they actually not. just go to movement four. Is That's that the it? main thing. I yeah. Well, their leaders, the leader and the one with the shield go to two block. Right. One of them gets cleave. Okay, so if it's easy to do, that feels worthwhile doing. But actually, investing a lot of action into it doesn't feel worthwhile, does it? Well, what I feel is it will lead people into the trap of I have to inspire. So yeah. they will invest tons of like draw tech to get the two faction cards, which give you desecration tokens. So in Ooh. a round, you can go. Cool, I've inspired, and then you're at the back of the board going, "Oh, my opponent's all the way over there. Yeah. I can't do it." That's that's another joke. But uh, if you look at it, th- this forsaken and restricted is basically hitting big guys, namely Molog. It's, it's, it's the Molog list, and then hitting stacking, which is now. Now I like it because it feels. I mean, you know, God, we, we send up prop. We know we're doing John, but it feels like it brings balance to the game, which is what we want to discuss yeah. today. In that they've toned down, you know. What some people would call S tier, uh, you know, <laughs> I still don't understand why it's not A. Um, but also, a they've sort of tried to bring ravages up a little bit. And I think we've yeah. often talked again on your streams and stuff about how this season has felt way more balanced than other seasons. And for me, ravages have been the most disappointing warband. I know yes. you keep saying it's the fish. I think you're wrong. I think they're really good. <laughs> Um, well, I think the fish... Well, go on, yeah. And I just like that, actually, they've recognised it's not just hitting the more powerful stuff, but maybe we need to give this a little bump. And it doesn't feel big. It feels quite subtle. I'd be interested to see if it has much play or makes much difference, you know. I mean, I agree. Um, like, even though I'm more I'm more objectively disappointed with Elethane Sorraid, but I, I do agree that um, Kagra's Ravagers are the worst warband of Diachasm. Like, it's pretty bad when I would probably go, I think I'd recommend Magor's Fiends instead of Kagra's Ravagers because Magor's Fiends do aggro better. And that's not even like a lie. That's the truth. I think they do. Yeah. Yeah. And I I appreciate that they're taking the initiative to boost older warbands, like boost underperforming warbands. But I hope they will do the same for older warbands because that would be more interesting. I do have a feeling... The reason they've done this is because they actively still sell Kagra's Ravagers. Yeah. So I'm not saying that it's poor sales or whatever, but they'll go, we'll boost this warband, but it would if 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 we make it better, it would also help our sales, which could be a reason as why it was done and why we haven't seen it for older warbands. It, it could be. Now I I heard a thing on I think it was Tabletop Sydney, I'm not sure. Yeah. And instinctively, as soon as he said it. I really disagreed. I really disagreed, and then when I sort of paused and thought about it, I thought it was a really 
well-made point, which was power creep is important to a game like Underworlds. And that bit, I think, oh, oh, and it really made me bristle because, you know, we hate power creep. I still want to play Reavers or whatever it is. And then he went on to explain the reason he thinks it's, it was tabletop simulator. I'm hearing it in an Australian voice in my head. Um, <laughs> the reason he thinks it's important is because it allows new players to get involved in the game and not be playing catch up the whole time. You know, you can yeah. buy a Diacasm Warband and actually, like we say, most Warbands this season feel pretty well balanced. Yes. And you can buy them and play them out of the box and they'll be all right. You know, if you buy the Essentials Pack and one of the Warbands, you can probably make a pretty decent deck. And that's because there is that subtle level of power creep. So I think it's always going to be harder to balance the old Warbands because we have got that power creep. And additionally, they're just so much more um, dependent on the neutral cards than the, than the newer Warbands are. Um, universal cards. Like, universal yeah, I agree. Cards, sorry, yeah. It's like, um, I agree in terms of, well, how do you describe it? I, I don't think power creep is good, but it's it's a necessary evil. So yeah. this is something I learned in general, because uh, I have other friends who playtest other games, and it's like, while we would like a perfectly balanced game, at that point you would have to play chess. But the problem is you need not power creep, but evolution. Because if everything's the same, there's no reason to buy in. And if you're a business, like we could talk about power creep in depth, but basically power creep is important to a degree. It's necessary for businesses because if you're making a game, if everything's the same, no one will buy anything. And yeah, you'd, then, you'd still be running your um, sp- spike course swarm, wouldn't you? you well, know. this is the thing. I even like, basically I was like one of my editorials at the end of Shades, I was like, if there's no balance list like no cards are banned or like restricted i will not change my skaven because it's it was it was unbeatable for six months no one could beat it like that's it's not even a joke literally that's how crazy it was and even though it was fine we tolerated it because everyone was playing the same game and we were like there's a new season coming so when you change was coming yeah from once a game stagnates that's the worst thing for it and that that's what that diachasm had stagnated for like the because the meta, this meta didn't suddenly happen. This meta w- was evolving from Beastgrave, and then the um, rotation happened, and the Diachasm first Forsaken and Restricted list dropped, and it didn't really hit much in comparison. And then you had all this stuff running rampant for six months. So it's yeah. not a surprise. All these cards have been problems since the start of Diachasm. Um, and I think that's what made people, f- people may forget if they haven't been aware. Like, uh, the last six months and the last six months before, like, you know, with the lockdown and COVID and everything, yeah. those metas have been incredibly boring to play in because there's been hardly any balance updates. Yeah. And it is, a, you know, again, it's a difficult time, isn't it? Cause, oh, yeah. Because there isn't much competitive play. They haven't got Grand Clash info to go off of and, and stuff like that, which is why, you know, I think, you know, obviously you've been asking for a, a, an errata for a little while. Um. I was quite pleased when, the, and I was quite surprised when this came out because I I didn't think we'd see one for for months. I thought me too. I thought we're gonna, you know, GW need to be running some events for them to see it. So, you know, I think it shows they've got their kind of ear to the ground. Is that the word? Ear to the floor? Ear to, yeah, they, basically, they've got their ears somewhere. 
<laughs> I mean, you can tell it's a bit more subjective this time because, yeah. as we've already pointed out, like the last one had like one to two odd hits, like Daylight Robbery, because that had no tournament yeah. whatsoever. Uh, this one, I think the biggest standout is the Slick Rock because no one's been using it. Um, and probably Substance Siphon. I get why it was hit because it was Molog, Molog stacking Substance Siphon. Yeah. But even then, that's because like the worm spout are like, why? What have we done? Why did you hurt us so bad? <laughs> <laughs> but that's the kind of thing. Like, if we look at Forsaken and Restricted List as a whole, the big things that Games Workshop usually hit are very toxic and or uninteractive playstyles. Yeah. So if you weren't aware, the first thing Games Workshop ever hit were the Cataphrane relics. Now I remember the Cataphrane relics. They worked as they gave varying effects. But you needed to trigger first effect, you needed two, and then they released six cataphrane relics. And if you had all six as an action, you could activate that fighter to get four glory. And everyone was like, oh, you know, I'm going to find a way to build the most optimal like relic deck, and it's going to be hilarious because it's like, you know, it'll never really work. And then in the first two weeks, it got cracked and turned up to a grand clash. The final was relics in a mirror. <laughs> they knocked out everyone. Then. So it went from an 80-person Grand Clash, and the Grand Clash two weeks after went down to 24 players because oh. people did not want to play it. No. It got so bad, Games Workshop refused to stream the final because they were like, you've got two relics in the final. They're literally going to sit there and not even play Is the that game. the and final that was decided on a dice roll? They it was the final. Because the they, they drew the first game, then relics won the first game, then the other relic, uh, second game, and the relics won the other one. So, like, I remember the TO, he's a good friend. He was just like, um, well, you know what? Under the rules, I, uh, well, you get, you get sudden death. It's like, are you going to move? No, I'm at the, they, they deployed longboards and were at the opposite ends. Oh, like, no. are you going <laughs> to, are you going to move? Nope. Okay, then. So we're just going to roll off. And they got you know, understandably like upset, but it was like, well, neither of you are just going to move. So we're going to roll off. So they rolled off and one of those players won because they rolled a single crit. <laughs> But that's the kind of stuff. Like, I mean, Relics I suppose, almost you know, killed the game. You're playing within the rules of the game, aren't you? Well done. Yes. You, you've made the most optimal thing. Yes, and it literally almost killed the game. Tons of people just stopped playing, and then yeah. Games Workshop emergency like ratted them. So you needed two glory to equip, and at that time, effectively killed them. Yeah. So um, well, that was didn't the first you time. You win your uh, Goblins Trophy with Relics. But that was in Nightbot. That's completely <laughs> different. That's, Need one of them legit goblins trophies, John. I will say, uh, <laughs> after I did win that tournament, all of us, like, I used stuff. Um, so the biggest hole I identified was that you could equip the Cataphrane relics for free with stuff like um, Spoils of Battle. And then there was a Nightbot version where you could take a damage to equip it. So I abused that. And then mysteriously, you know, after I did that, that all got, like, in the bin. So, uh, but that, that's another thing, right? So Games Workshop will repeatedly hit uninteractive control builds, and that's turtle control builds. Yeah. So what we're talking about balance, uh, we'll, we'll talk, we'll link back to the other far lists, but I think the biggest thing to touch up upon now, like we've already talked about control, but this is something Rob actually introduced to me. And when he, like when you talked about it, it actually opened my eyes because I was like, that's the perfect feeling I have for this game. And the biggest thing is it's the right to respond. So would you yeah. like to explain that? Well, yeah, sure. I mean, I, I guess I'd go back a step and sort of ask a question, which is yeah? why do we spend our free time playing a board game? 
you know, and, and uh, you know, um, I guess if you're listening to this podcast, you're probably reasonably serious about the game and going to tournaments and playing at competitive level and stuff. Or you and, just want to listen to me and Rob. Or problem, yeah, who doesn't want to listen to our beautiful voices, right? That's so sexy. Uh, <laughs> oh, I feel really uncomfortable now. Um, <laughs> but for me, there's, there's, you know, there's two reasons I play. Now, one is I like the puzzle. I like playing the game. I like trying to crack it. I enjoy building a deck and trying to outsmart my opponent and hoping I roll better dice and all that stuff. And that's, you know, a huge part of it. But the other part that's equally as important for me is the the sort of social side of things and sitting down opposite another human being and and the talk between, you know, we know each other because we've played this game a bunch of times together, right? Yes. And in fact, you know, I know a lot of my friends and a lot of my social group through this particular game. Um, and I think when you're then if you then think about that, when I'm sitting opposite someone and someone takes an action and does a thing, there is a a little bit in there where I want to solve the puzzle. I want to work out what they're doing. I also want to know if I can stop what they're doing. And I think that also leans into that social aspect of it in that I'm playing a real person. I'm playing a human being. It's not a computer game. It's not a game on my phone or whatever. So when I think of that right to respond... Actually, it sort of came to me when I was listening to the um, or watching the Battlecast review of Warcry. Because in Warcry, uh, I can't remember, I've played it once, I can't remember the exact rules, but basically you roll a bunch of attack dice and then your opponent takes an, uh, an according number of wounds. And it kind of feels rubbish because when your opponent's having their turn, you might as well bugger off and make yourself a cup of tea because you, you don't have anything to do. Yes. Whereas in Underworlds, there's this real beauty that it's you go, you, I go, you go, I go, you go, I go throughout the whole game, every step of it, the power step, the, you know, you're not activating your whole warband in one like you do in, say, 40k. It's one fighter at a time. And then when you do your power step, that's one player at a time. And if someone pushes onto some objectives, for example, you can then sit there and go, I think they're trying to do this, so I'm going to distract them off. Or do I wait for the end phase because I don't want them to get a supremacy or a dominant position or or whatever it is? And you're trying to second-guess them and you're trying to solve that little puzzle there. And so when I think of right to respond, that's what I'm thinking of. And even when it comes down to, you know, you make a five dice, four hammers with cleaving and snare attack against my lowly grot who's got one defense dice but i'm still hoping for that crit i still get to roll a dice i still get a little bit of that and i think that you have that moment of hope and it is a game of luck you know if you don't want to play a game of luck underworlds probably isn't the game for you you have two decks of cards so you've got a lot of luck in card draw and you have a lot of dice rolled you know so there's huge swinginess within the game and I, I, and but I think those moments make the most memorable ones. Ah, oh, do you remember when you made that five dice attack? Ah, oh, I was really annoying. You know, and that's the little story that you tell after the game that I think is really important. Oh um, yeah, hundred percent. Because it's like um, I know people hate on the crit mechanic, but it's literally it's your hail mary. You still have a chance. And yeah. I think that's I think the best anal- like example for the right to respond is change of tactics. And I think that was probably it's probably the most the best designed surge objective that uh, they've made for Underworlds because it generally takes... So change of tactics is a score immediately objective from Shadespire where 
a fighter who is on guard makes a charge action. So generally it takes two turns of setup because you have to go on guard. Then your opponent has a power step to react, an activation to react, and then another power step. So your opponent has three chances to react to that, even though you have a very guaranteed objective. And like the biggest thing in Shadespire was if someone went on guard, you were like, they're going to go score change of tactics. Now, there was always the other way where they could branch off and just be guarding to fake you out, but that's another aspect of the card. But then let's say you play Distraction, they play Sidestep, then you play like Spectral Wings, and then you play Mirrorball. So it's like you could go like I've I've not st- I've not stopped you completing that objective, but I've stalled you. Or you do stuff like you play Great Concussion in the middle, and you push those two fires away so they're out of charge range. Or in, even in your activation, you literally just move away. Used even though your opponent has that really potential easy objective, you still have enough ability and time to respond, yeah. move away from that. And then if you compare it to Gathered Momentum, which is stupid and should have been restricted a long time ago that's just charge five hexes or score your second or subsequent search there is no way for your opponent to interact against gathered momentum the only way to interact from that is to stand far enough away that they can't charge you or stand near enough that they can't charge five hexes yeah which Um, is both really bad for you because at least with that change of tactics you can actually move out of range and then keep on living instead of moving close was a little bit telegraphed Yes. You know, they, they play their their turn and they go on guard. Or a ploy. You know, I used to run a couple of ploys, guard ploys, so I could get it in one activation. Yeah. But sometimes but you're literally sacrificing more side you're sacrificing out of the your way. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You know, and, um, you know, I remember the first time, and I, where was I? It was in. Um, is it South Sea? So, uh, somewhere in the southeast of England, there was a store tournament, and someone put a fighter on guard, and I was like two glory ahead, and it was towards the end of the game, and I thought, oh, if I just sidestep out of the way, <laughs> he he can't score change of tactics, and I think I win the game. Ah, oh, and you know, I felt like I'd cracked some kind of amazing code there or something like that, you know. And I suppose my worry is cards like Hidden Purpose or even Temporary Victory, which we see a lot less now. But with Gits, with um, Briar Queen, you can score those cards in an activation. You just go, I do this thing, I score glory. And, uh, you know, with Grimwatch, you got, you know, admittedly they needed a power card to do it, but they could push a couple of ghouls onto objectives, move on to one, and have five glory scored. And it happens yes. an annoying number of times. And it's Far too so consistent. feel bad because you just sit there and go, I'm now five glory behind. And there was nothing I could do about that. And I remember at the time I used to try and prevent their surges because if you prevent Grimwatch scoring their surges, generally at the time they were running a load of score wars so they wouldn't get their end phase. But all you do is you don't prevent them. You just delay it a turn by distracting them off or, or whatever. And um, so I, I think that's a really important part of, of game design. If you're playing a game that's designed to be competitive, for me, it, competitive isn't just I built the most efi- efficient deck. Sure, that's a huge aspect of it, but it's also, you know, I made the most optimal activations throughout the game. And part of that is preventing your opponent's scoring. Like the other week when we were running 
um, uh, your bone reapers into my crimson court. And I'm there going, if you get to me round one, I, I think I lose the game. But if I've got a round to sort of stay back and power up a little bit, you know, and with that it is sort of play a little bit of keep away because you're slower. But I'm preventing you scoring. I'm preventing your deck churning through. But there's always time for you to draw a power card or, you know, m- do a different manoeuvre or something. And it felt like we were both sort of having to think and be tactically involved in, in the game, I guess. I don't know. Maybe for you it just felt really boring because that guy is standing at the other side of the board. <laughs> I don't know. Well, so this, is, this is the thing like I w- want to branch into quickly. So it's like... Um, I agree with everything you said, and just like my biggest gripe is when aggro players complain that they can't get in. So there's a difference between because you say, "Oh, you know, you, they've hit all this control stuff, but aggro can just get in my face." And I agree, but there's a difference between delaying aggro for a turn, which is a, a valid tactic, and stopping aggro charging you all game until it's like their last mm. activation. Those are two very different things, and that's what turtle control kind of does. Yeah. Um, but aggro, like. What I wanted to branch into with this is basically players will love to see stuff they don't like get hit, but then be confused and bewildered when people say their stuff should be hit or when it is hit. Yeah. Like, um, once again, I don't have anything against control players, but turtle control players will always act like they have been wronged. Like so the the developers have singled them out for some confusing crime because uh, the developers will always shut that kind of stuff down. And they like they go, oh, it's personal. They just don't like that play style. I was like, no, they don't. They, they really don't, because Games Workshop have continually hit that kind of play style. But as you can see with this Forsaken and Restricted list, aggro players will be going, oh, yeah, they've hit all the like annoying stuff that was like people stacking upgrades, but they've hit all my aggro tools, or like mm. a lot of my aggro tools. And you go, yeah, because those are really strong as well. And I think it's really important as a player that you identify and accept what's broken about what you're running. Because uh, like my, one of my friends put it best, if you're running something broken, you should own it and not be surprised when it gets balanced yeah. or like removed from the game. When they, um, uh, what, what's the word? Not re-released, reprinted uh, Duelist Speed so you can't use it during a super action. And I think it was you said to me, oh, you can still use it after a super action so you can charge and push. Um, And I was like, oh, yeah, because when I was running Wild Hunt, I abused that mercilessly, which was I'm going to do my scything attack, but I'm constantly going to push in and out to stop you having any supporting fighters. Um, You know, because why not? (laughs) Um, It's absolutely the right thing to, to do. I'm surprised it's still allowed in a charge action, to be perfectly honest, or after a charge action, because um, that's a really strong play as well, to steam in, hit someone off an objective and jump on it. But, um, you know, maybe that's for the next errata or FAQ. <laughs> well, we'll see. But, yeah. like, that's the kind of thing, like, um, I've already talked about earlier when, like, my Spike Claws deck got destroyed there was someone who like, oh man, I got 16 card hits. This game is terrible, blah, blah, blah. Why did they hit me? I can hit, I understand why this is. And I'm like, dude, I got 19 cards here. It's yeah. fine. Like we deserve, like what I was running was filth. Like there's, it, everyone was running the same thing, but I was like, you know, it's broken. It's fine. And I think you should be aware of that. There's like, you know, I'm disappointed more Mournflight stuff was hit, but I'm like, if I'm being honest, they probably should have 
their Dominion of Death upgrade hit, like Death's Domain or whatever. Where they, they score there, more at the end of the game. Yeah, yeah. score free glory if you have scored more than your opponent, yeah. scored more objectives than your opponent, which you basically auto score if you go first in the final round, yeah. and there's no way your opponent can stop it. Crazy. But it, like that's the kind of thing. Like when I was running, I was speaking to a player in the Grand Clash, it's like his Grimwatch like, against my Mournflight, and I was like, oh, what he did is broken. Like that that ridiculousness. And then but then he was shocked when I went, and you know what? My war band is stupid as well. Even though you, you ended up winning, I literally scored 13 glory in a round. That shouldn't be possible. Like yeah. both of us war bands are ridiculous. Like, how has the game gone here? And it was like it was he was really confused because he agreed my deck was silly, but then he was like no, but mine, mine's fine. And it's like, no, but I mean, you've scored like tw- <laughs> 26, 28 glory, and I've scored 13 in a round. There's something's gone wrong, you know? And I think people, the game is more healthy and it's easier to talk about stuff if people are more accepting of the broken stuff they're running. Yeah. It's because, it's you know, I look back at that um, when my, my gits list was the best it was. And, you know, you couldn't do that list now. So many of those cards are restricted. Um, and it was great, you know, I had a couple of months where Gits were a really strong warband and then that wasn't the case anymore. But I have to accept, you know, being able to, <laughs> letting your opponent go first and then scoring scrum for not doing anything, <laughs> which happened surprisingly regularly, does feel a little bit broken. I've scored a glory because you had a turn. I haven't done anything yet this game. And then, you know, scurry into temporary victory and swift capture or whatever and you sort of go... Yeah, they do feel strong at the moment, and you know, and but, I, but, I suppose I quite like that. I quite like the way the meta shifts. You know, obviously, I prefer it more when it shifts towards the things I like running. But it's good to suddenly go. Oh no, I'm going to have to rebuild my deck, and don't want to carry on running that warband. Maybe, maybe now's the time to go for something new. I think that's a nice head. You know, that's if I go back to my reasons for playing. That's solving the puzzle again. That's a good thing for me. Um, no, I, I agree because, like, I, I, one of my things that was killing me, my desire to play was the fact there's no balance, and it's the the only way I could actually enjoy playing Underworlds is playing like you, Rob, and people I know because we could comp each other a bit. Like, we'd still play competitively, but we just wouldn't like. Is it for example, we wouldn't just turn up with Molog? For example, yeah. like I'll, I'll just be like because if I went to a tournament, I would have to auto to my mourn flight because I know I would just shut people down. Well, it's, there was nothing it's that thing, isn't it? If you're going to a tournament to win, and you're taking your, you know, own it and go, I want to win today. Yes, you know, and you know, try and be a magnanimous sportsman within that. But you know, go and go. I want to win. I'm bringing the strongest deck, the one I've tested for a couple of weeks, because this is my best chance at getting a little glass trophy. And yeah, you know, I imagine that's why at Grand Clashes there were so many um uh what was the deck you were talking about earlier? I didn't play when it was a thing. Um, oh Cataphrane Relic. The Relic deck, you know, because people want to win. And I think if you go, oh, I've built this thing, I think I can win with it. Yeah, you know, more more power to you, but you know, own it a little bit. Um, you know, and, sh- and shocker for anyone listening, when John and I are streaming games or you're, you're playing with other people up on your YouTube channel and stuff, there is a discussion before about, right, we'll play this warband into this warband. Yeah, that'll be a good matchup, you know, because it is, you don't want someone just sitting at the back playing an auto score deck because that's not going to be particularly good viewing. 
and we well, want yeah, to yeah, show but... new stuff and different decks and and things like that, I suppose. Yeah, we still play competitively, but it's like we generally play a best of three. Yeah, and I like... still want to beat you every game, don't get me wrong. <laughs> of course, <laughs> but uh, I choose the game that is the best to watch and the most balanced. Even Like, for example, uh, I think the best one I showed off was, well, recently, so I did Kanan's Reapers against the Slanesh, I think. And Slanesh won the first game. And then I lost the, uh, I, then I won the next two, but I showed the game I lost. Um, cause I think it was, yeah, with Elethane Soul Raid. Yeah. So no, it was, it was one of the bad So basically I showed the one where I lost because I thought that was a more interesting game because it was closer because the games, the two games after I had adapted and then basically, unfortunately overran the opponent. Yeah. So even though it was kind of like, even though I'm not a fan of best of one. I think best of one as a viewing experience is better than a best of three unless yeah. you want to learn how to play competitive. And I think that was your playing pool, weren't you? Yes. And uh, I, I think you just did that because you gave Elephant Soul Raid such a bad review you didn't want them winning. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's like, um, I, I think it's also good to show yourself losing and like how to learn from it. Because the biggest thing, people like will lose in a best of three in the first game and then go out. So all, all hopes is lost. But I use that as a learning tool because like, oh, cool. I've learned your deck now and I learned what you want to do. Now I will use that to win. Yeah. And that's generally what happens. But you, like, it's weird. I showed a best of three split up into like current episodes. People that weren't interested. So, but, but that like, that's the kind of thing you want to show stuff that's balanced. And the most fun games I've had is not when I've whitewashed the opponent. It's when I've, it's been back and forth and we've had equal chances to yeah. respond to our tricks. That's yeah. like some of my favorite games are like against David Smee because me and him play very similarly. So we take a lot of time to do stuff at times, but it's like we have crazy mind games and we can do back and forth stuff even in a single power step. Yeah. And that's, even with like you, Rob. And, and that's the thing, isn't it? Like that, you know, that's about, you know, if we think about that right to respond, I think that's really important. You know, and if you think about it in other game systems, in 40k, you always get a defense. Is it called a defense role? An involve or what? An armor safe. You can tell I haven't played for Last time I played 40k, it was Rogue Trader. I think I played Is that main... when Sabrina the Teenage Witch was still on TV? It was before Sabrina the Teenage Witch. Oh was my on God. TV. <laughs> <laughs> I think I played a bit of uh, second edition. Okay. Yeah, but that's, you know, you do have that little moment where you go, oh, Christ, you've hit me that many times. Well, I better hope for some good dice here if I want to have a round two. And you still get that little moment. I think that's really important. And when your opponent's just sort of auto-scoring and churning through stuff and you're sitting there going, oh, my deck's, well, I've got this one attack that I really need to go off, you know, and if it whiffs, it's just, you're in for a real feel-bad, aren't you? Yeah. But it's like, this is the big thing. Having that right to respond makes the game more interactive, even if you lose or your opponent loses. So w- when we're talking about like turtle control, the reason it's hit so much is because Underworlds at core is about a game where you have the right yeah. to respond. But well, we know the developers basically agree to this because that's what they've hit continuously. They hit oppressive stuff because even aggro can remove the right to respond in the right conditions, which is also just as bad as turtle control. Yeah. Aggro, you have, I suppose, built-in risk because you're rolling dice and your opponent's rolling dice. Yes. Um, that I suppose that's the trade-off. But generally, the rewards are, are greater, aren't they? Yeah, because you get an extra kill. But it's stuff like, that's why upper hand was bad. Not just because it was entirely broken, 
but it made you succeed on attacks which shouldn't succeed. Well, it and all, it kind of removed the risk of aggro. It was also hand, just a really rubbish game experience, wasn't it? Yeah, because you, you were roll like, your oh, defense you... dice anyway. Why do you want me to do that? No particular reason. <laughs> yeah, it was like I had decks where I didn't even run up a hand, and I would make my opponent do it. And they, like, they would go, "Oh, you, you succeed, I was, uh, you fail." I was like, "Could you roll a defense dice, please?" And terror, terror gripped their face, oh, and they were John, like, "Oh my gosh, you have a hand." <laughs> but it's like. I, uh, yeah, I'm a bastard. But it was just like <laughs> that's how prob like that's when aggro removes the right to respond because like upper hand was the anti right to respond, and you could argue even time trap because you would charge and then attack again with time trap, yeah. you know that kind of stuff, and people would just go no, you know you could double charge with time trap. Sorry, so people would just go oh you've charged that's fine, and they go time trap I'm charging again, bro, and they were just like no, but you've removed that right to respond because yeah. normally they go you've charged. They have a power step to react or whatever, yeah. or move away. But yeah, it's even though I talk a lot about turtle control because it is generally bad, and the devs continually hit it. it it's it's a good point because a lot of like turtle control players will go, "Why did like there were relic players who were like relics were fine? They the devs intended it. I don't see why they should hit it." And then the devs, like if you even spoke to the devs, they'd be like, "Yeah, this was an unintended uh, consequence because they've gone on record like Shade Spy was designed in a really short space of time." Mm-hmm. And that was, it was supposed to be a fun mechanic, which unfortunately turned out to be completely broken. Yeah. And it was actually killing the game. I suppose there's also a thing, um, you know, if people are going to run Turtle Control. And actually, if you're running an aggro build, you have a little responsibility for your fighters in your deck to, you know, put some movement in there or put some passive in or put some shutdown for them in. You know, that's that's part of the game and part of a, I remember winning a tournament once when, um, and again, I was trying hard for glass and I had a Thundrix deck. Then the guy was running Curse Breakers and he set all his fighters up like five hexes away from me and then drew power cards for the whole game. And at the end I said, oh, were you looking for, you know, some movement? He said, I haven't got any in the deck. (laughs) And he was just waiting for me to charge him. So then the next game I was like, Probably, I'll probably just stand five hexes away because I win the game then, even if it's only by a couple of glory. You know, and I, I hold my hands up, but you know, I was trying hard there. And, but you know, but if you're, I think if you're going to do that, you know, I know you dislike control decks, John. Um, but if you're running aggro, you, you do need to put some movement and stuff in there to to get to them if they're too far away. You know, that's that's your responsibility, you know, and that's where you that's where you answer the questions being asked of you. Well, it's like, I'm actually a fan of control. Cause like, if you went through my grand clash experience, most of my decks of my flex decks have been hard control with bursts of aggro. Right. So, um, but I play control in more of, I control where you go and stuff. Mm-hmm. But I think a biggest, a big thing aggro players need to focus on is like, yeah, we rail on control, but when I build aggro decks, when I build any deck, I always plan for how can I beat turtle control? There are aggro players who will add no movement or no dice accuracy and then complain that they get beaten by people who don't engage with them. Like yeah. you you have to know the matchup, but you you can't like if we look at the current meta, problems I see at the moment, we've got too many cards that give plus two movement, just as upgrades and gambits. So playing this whole keep away game, because I think control is necessary, just not turtle control. But when you can't even keep away from a turn so, safely, like I'm, I'm fine for you having a turn to like you know 
build up your defenses and wait and then go, okay, now I'll, now I'll get into the game because like I've slowed you down for a bit, so I should be able to tank your charge. Mm-hmm. Instead of just going, oh, I've got Spectral Wings, so I get plus two move. I've got Membranous Wings. Oh, I've, now I've got an upgrade. I'll play Savage Speed, so I've given three of my fighters plus two move, and I've done turn one charges. And you're yeah. just like, it's nice. You know, it's cool. Do you, I mean, you, you know, with that in mind, do you think turtle control is even possible at the moment? It is you know, the, the, because of bad card design. So the lost pages still make turtle control viable, but only with the Crimson Court now. But is it like, you know, because I've found with Crimson Court, you've got four fighters. So one's generally going to be a little bit further forward. All the Diachasm uh, Warbands... Sorry, I was looking at a thing on my screen that said Beast Brave. All the <laughs> Diachasm Warbands are much quicker. Yeah, you know, and actually, I think that, that increase in movement is kind of like an inherent effect to deal with the people who can't or won't add movement to their decks. Yeah, I, I feel like... You know, when you go back to playing a three-move Warband, you're like, oh, this is really hard. <laughs> How did, how did we ever do this ages ago? Exactly. You know? I like uh, people remember when we used to have a free hex gap for doing diagonal boards. That was that was the, the dark time. Loved we it. didn't even have the loved it. <laughs> so, like personally, this is just another tangent. I would hope they add a new rule where you can't place lethal hexes in no man's land, just because you just put it. If you do diagonal, you do four hexes and you put a lethal in. The closest hex. You're giving away all my game strats for, John. I'm a, I'm a bastard. <laughs> but this is the kind of thing. So it's like, that's why we, that's why I'm a big advocate of being aware of everything. Because I think people were shocked when they like, they know I don't like total control. But then when they hear, when they probably talk to me, they like, I will, I will hit anything that is overpowered because I think everything it's best when it's balanced. So because you get a, a more fun game for you and your opponent. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Um, do you mind if I go for a, a slight right angle here? I was yeah, going to say cool. a slight t- tangent, but it's not. It's a right angle. So I was talking to someone about War Machine the other day, yes. which is a game I, I love the aesthetic of and I have always wanted to play, never had anyone to play it with. Um, and I was talking to someone about it the other day who was uh, – you know, would play internationally at all the big tournaments and stuff and say, is it worth trying to get into War Machine now? And he just had to say, no, you cannot. If you don't already play it, you can't play that game. It's completely inaccessible. And I think um, Privateer Press are very aware of that because there's some new version of War Machine coming out that's not War Machine, it's War Machine in the future. Um, And still, no one will play that with me either. Um, (laughs) But... You know, he was saying it's just, it's continually got more and more complex and rules dense and more and more things have been released to a point where if you're a new player, unless you want to spend a year and a half losing, you just can't get into the game. And I don't want that to happen to Underworlds because Underworlds is, you know, the game I love and the game I really enjoy playing and, you know, it's you know, on a pre-COVID, sort of Wednesday night in Reading, we were getting 13, 14 players some weeks. And, you know, some of them are new players. And that's really, really good. Um, and I think now with Diachasm, it, it's a really interesting spot because I think the war bands are more balanced. 
I think, you know, like we've already discussed earlier, I think the rules, however, are a lot more complex. And, I, I, you know, yeah. I don't know where that middle ground is. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not a games designer. My hope is that we can retain that level of balance, but keep it accessible for new players. You know, when I've been running that hungering vampires thing, no one I play with sort of done that before. And it got to a point where Paul just turned around to me and said, I just assume everything you do is putting a hunger counter down. I'll ask you when it becomes important, <laughs> you know, because there's the cards suddenly have so much text on that it's, yeah. it's become a little bit more rules lawyery. And um, I, I don't hate that, but I think it's something to be um, conscious of, you know. I agree. It's like that. this is kind of the problem with balance. Underworlds is approaching the state where, uh, like, thankfully, I've done a lot of articles on the subject, so much need updating, even videos. But with the way balance is, like, if you're just a new player, like, I, I completely get where you look at this and go, I don't understand what any of this means, basically. Yeah. Or, like, even if you look at the core rules and go, oh, the core rules say I can only set three hex apart, but the updated rules say four hex, like, keeping up is a nightmare. And, even though Underworld is very simple as a competitive game, it still has tons of layers. And the problem is, like, I, I, I agree Vanguard format diachasm is still the best way to play the game at the moment, even with this new FAQ. Uh, well, new Arata, sorry, we don't have an FAQ. It's the, the complexity is a huge thing because I've had, I, I've had lots of people tell me they go, I kind of miss the simplicity of other seasons because, like, I don't want to, I thought the Crimson Court would be really cool. I have no desire to track hunger counters because it's too much. Or like, even people go like, I like orcs. I can't play the mad mob because I just don't want to track primacy. I don't want to have that thing of primacy, but my warband plays around it. So I don't buy that. The the number of, you know, if you're on the Facebook groups, the number of comments that are like, I'm a returning player. What's primacy? I'm returning player. What's hunger? I'm returning player. What's, um, But I suppose we had those questions last season about Hunter and Quarry, and those have carried on this season to mean more. It'd be interesting to see if we get some of the stuff from this season, although something like Hunger feels exclusive to one warband. Um, But again, it is that I quite like that extra level of rules. You know, I, I like the fact that we can have primacy, and maybe next season it's not a thing. And that's sort of fine. I think that's quite interesting. Um, but it does make it harder to be accessible. And I think that's something we always want to bear in mind, you know. And I, I, again, I suppose that comes back to my my second reason for playing is the social thing. You know, I want to meet new people and I want to throw dice at them. Yeah. And it's like, um, it's just tough. I think it's, it probably is only going to get worse. But this ties into balance because, you know, uh, I, I agree the game has become more complex, but it's fi- like di- Diachasm, if you're a competitive player, you will love Diachasm because you go, everything's fairly rules tight and it feels more balanced. But if you're a new player, you're kind of like, I like how the warband plays, it just confuses me to no end. Yeah. Like even if you look at the start of warbands, you've got one warband which has to manage wound counters and another warband which has to man- man- manage their own special counters. Yeah. So it's kind of like as a new player, you go, 
wow, these are the first war bands I've been exposed to. I have to keep track of what my opponent is doing and then my counters as well. And it, like, if they, as I said, if those war bands weren't Star War bands, I would have rated them much higher, even though they are really good. Because yeah. as a new player, they're bad because there's too much to track. I don't know if they're, they're good or bad for a new player. They're certainly more complex. I still look at Dread Pageant and go, I'm really sure what I'm supposed to be doing with these guys. Well, it's like yeah. uh, Garrick's Reavers. This is another tangent, but Garrick's Reavers are intended to be a hold objective aggro warband. Now, if you tell people that, they would go, what hold objective elements? And people will go, well, you know, they've got the one for no enemy fight, no fighters holding objectives. So that means they're supposed to play the objective game because they've got fragile fighters. You need to sit. Nothing in the deck says that. <laughs> but it's like, you know, that's the mixed messages. But like, yeah, with balance, you know, the diachasm warbands actually don't need much fixing for them. They're all fairly balanced. Like even with the universal cards that were hit currently, not much was from diachasm. I mean, there's still a decent amount, but you know, like, there's always going to be restricted cards, yeah. but it's not too bad. But in terms of like the balance, I think that's why I recommend Vanguard because as a balanced game set, it's better. You like because even if you have stuff like kill an enemy leader, that's way more doable in Vanguard for Diachasm than it is in Championship because if someone's running Molog, that is basically a dead card. But now with this latest errata, well, FA, not errata, latest Forsaken and Restricted list and errata, you know, stuff like Victoria's Jewel is actually more viable if people like, because people are now feeling like um, Thorns of the Briar Briar Queen and Grimwatch are going to be more popular. So you go like, oh, you know what? I think I might run this. But that's the diversity that these lists can bring. Yeah. And I think there's... um... I, I welcome that, I think. I, I welcome this season feeling more balanced. I do question it. You know, I don't think true balance is ever possible, right? Some no. things are always going to be more powerful than others. Um, you know, I imagine if you were in the army and you were going to war, you would want it to be as unbalanced in your favour as possible, right? I mean, that's what the goal of every player is, right? Yeah. Uh, well, I, I assume so. <laughs> you know, people want It's to like... I think a good point is that there is never going to be an 100% balanced game. Otherwise, we will all be playing chess and no one would play that. Well, I mean, you know, us. But there's a difference between going, ah, you know, we should ignore balance to we can have imbalance, but try to be as balanced as possible at the same time. Yeah. Like I was chatting to someone and I laughed because they were like, you know, I like diachasm. But, it, you know, it, when I look at the Beast Grave stuff, I prefer that because it was broken and I could just do silly stuff. And I was like, so you, like, previously they were complaining the game was unbalanced and now they're yeah. like, the game is too balanced. So Beast, there's like some Beast Grave was just, you know, I haven't, we, we haven't played properly in Diachasm. I haven't been able to get out to tournaments and, you know, play those try-hard decks that I've built and play other people's try-hard decks that they've built to see what really works. You know, we've done sort of online stuff. It's not quite the same. Um, but Beastgrave just felt broken to me, uh, and it stopped me wanting to play. Because yeah. 
it wasn't a fun experience when your you know your opponent just scores a shed ton of glory, and then you score a bunch of glory, and then at no point have you made eye contact or crossed into each other's half of the board or or anything like that. And it's like if, if I'm going to do that, I could just you know stay at home, text them how much glory I've stayed, and you know drink tea with me feet up. No, but that that was the thing. Like even Beastgrave, where we've talked a lot about aggro and control, but hold objectives. Beastgrave proved how dangerous hold objectives can be to the game because it literally very quickly, especially with the release of Temporary Victory, turned into who can sit on the most objectives the longest or fastest because you would just... I still don't think Beastgrave was about hold objective play. I think it was about grabbing it. Yes, Um, it's not holding, it's grabbing the objectives because literally... Do I run Supremacy, which I'm probably not going to score... But I can run great games for one glory less, and I'll def- definitely score it because all these surges are auto happens. Yeah, because you you would literally go. The worst thing I see is like normally in Shadespire, you charge and miss against your opponent. They may get an end phase, but if you do it during the round, you don't lose too much. They can probably they they get the chance to respond and hit you yeah. back. In Beastgrave, you would charge, miss, and if if it was like against the Grimwatch. Your opponent could score five glory off of that. <laughs> five glory off of you charging into them and missing. It always felt amazing. It was such a good game experience. <laughs> but then it got even worse when you calculated the end phase because if they scored great gains, combination strike, and let's say a supremacy. Yeah. Like I had one end phase with my uh, Grimwatch where I scored, I think, 11 glory in a round because I scored... How much was it? So I scored... Temporary victory in the name of the king, shifting madness. Then I also scored com- um, combination strike, uh, great gains, and I think it was dug in or supremacy. Right. Like it is crazy, and yeah. that kind of stuff is also terrible because, like, your opponent goes to you. Um, I charged, and you still like you scored glory off of me failing to do something. Yeah. That's terrible, and it's like, yeah, that kind of balance is terrible. Where like. That's why I'm like, anything that's too oppressive should be here. And like, thankfully, from this uh, farthest, that has been done. I think real credit to the designers and playtesters, to be fair, because this season, they've, I think they've done really well to wrestle it back from that, actually. Because I, I, didn't, I didn't enjoy playing in Beastgrave, you know. Um, I remember Wednesday nights where I'd go down and if there was an odd number, I was always happy to be the guy going to get tea. <laughs> It didn't bother me not playing at all. Um, and actually this season, as I say, I haven't played properly competitively, but it doesn't feel like that. And I think that's, you know, sort of credit to them for wrestling the game back. Unfortunately, and well, not unfortunately, but I suppose a byproduct of doing that is they've had to pump up the quality of the infaction cards this season and, and they did for for Beastgrave as well which is going to leave you know all your shade spar and most of your night vault war bands struggling a little bit yeah because i know some people are upset like <clears throat> molog and night vault war band has effectively been decimated but as you said i think it really thank you to the games developers and playtesters for firstly getting rid of upgrade stacking pretty much the only thing is like that's dubious now is Lost pages, but they're getting rotated out. Well, they will get rotated about eventually. And then also the silent stuff, like the silent relics. That's another dubious one, but you don't get much. You just get... Yeah, they don't effect. feel broken, 
I mean, I don't like Silent Helm. Silent Helm is an evil card and should be banned. Which one is Silent Remind me. It's the one where if you roll a crit, you ignore it. It counts as a normal success. Oh, yeah. I don't roll crits. I I exclusively roll double support. It's the anti-me card. They literally go, John, you're going to love this card. And I was like, you bastards. Red. Better remove it. (laughs) (laughs) But that's the only kind of little thing. But the, the monologue nerf is... Like, because as a new player, you go in telling a new player to like prepare against Moloch. Literally, did you do you know there are people in the world who are relying on nets to beat Moloch? <laughs> like nets are good. You got to stop hating on the nets, man. Yeah, man. Only when they're played by David Smee. If if it was David Smee telling me how to play nets, I would generally go, you know what, that's right. But when someone's going, ah, oh, the way you beat Moloch is just throw nets on him, I would go, oh. <laughs> So you're coming into range of Moloch. Yeah, what's the worst that could happen? I'll just Do you have any distractions in your deck? No. You know, three okay. three swords with the fishy support is a good way to put a chance token on someone. Yeah, but they're not running it in the fish warband. That was the point. No, you've got to be running. They they're fish. Of course they've got <laughs> nets. What? Okay, okay, apart from the nets. But this is the kind of He's thing. even sculpted like, with a net. Oh, sh- sh- shut up. <laughs> <laughs> uh but yeah, if you look um games workshop generally hits anything that's oppressive which is usually control turtle control not normal control um and yeah they will hit oppressive stuff to make the game more accessible especially with this one so your opponent has more chances to have the right to respond because you know as you said rob i we don't remember the games where we whitewashed people. We remember the games that were close when it was constant to in and fro in. Yeah. And the great thing about Underworlds is when the game is at its healthiest, that is a regular recurrence. Yeah. Like it's not it's not like, oh, you know, we had one game and that was really nice back and forth. I haven't had that all day. In the good days, even in Shadespire, when everyone was running the same deck, generally you could have crazy power steps and it was still back and forth. Mm. Because it, it in Shades by it came down because everyone was basically running the same deck. And it was who was the better player. And that's the fun bit, isn't it? Yeah. Isn't that the you know, fun bit that you've... Oh, even if you've just sidestepped next to me and I'm going, ah, oh, he's going to get free attack without charging. I'll distract him away. Like, that feels good. That feels like I've been involved in the decision-making process. You know? Well, it's even like when I was playing Wonder- Warhammer Underworlds Online because it's kind of like going back in time. Because I remember a guy was like... Um, he was four hexes away. So he needed like a four movement to charge with mm-hmm. Magor's Fiends. And I could tell he was like million for stuff. And then he draws like inspiration strikes, inspires a guy. And I go, okay, I've got a distraction. If I don't burn it, he could charge and score a ton of stuff. But you know what? If I play it, at least I force his hand yeah. through like spectral wings or something. He was also on an edge hex. So I was like, if I push him away, that stops hidden paths. Did the distraction. And then his power step was like 30 seconds and they just passed because oh, <laughs> no. I had completely got him. But even then, that was kind of a cool, like, you know, he was milling for this card and I was hoping my distraction would work because he had such a big hand. He could have had the tools to easily, like, play around my distraction. And that's uh, I mean, it's really nice, isn't it? You know, you've, you've drawn for cards, he's drawn for cards. Have you got the tools to answer him? There's a little fake out there and, oh, can I do this? Can't I do this? You know, all good. All good things to me. Um, yeah, because it's like most memorable games are the ones that have been close back and forth. It doesn't even matter if I haven't won. It's the fact that it was just a memorable game. You know, yeah. It was close. Like uh, some of my favorite games are the games I've lost. So, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Let's go with that. So here's, here's a question for you. Um, yeah. 
it, it, I suppose if this was YouTube, this is the sort of same thing you say, put in the comments below, would you be in favour of doing an X-Wing? By yes, which I, mean, I, I talk about a lot, yeah, so X-Wing, X-Wing 2.0. Season, or well, they didn't have season one, they had X-Wing, and then it was very competitive for ages, and then at some point they just went, right, the ships are valid, but the cards aren't, and you could buy a card pack that was for all your ships. And I... I feel like that wouldn't be that hard to do for Underworlds. You know, you could still then buy, you could buy your card pack, you can still buy the miniatures, can't you, without cards yes. for most of the warbands. So if not you want. Not for the end of the current, like not for Diachasm and the end of Beast Grave. They haven't made those separate. No. Yet. But presuming they follow suit, they will do at some point. Um, yes. But I, you know, I'd just be interested. I sort of think, would I be in favour of that if it was. 30 quid and i got i mean it's not going to be 30 quid is it it's 36 sets of faction cards or would it have to be that many i don't know maybe but they just do basic- shade spire and night vault yeah but you're basically asking um because the problem with x-wing it got too big and like their balance updates weren't working enough so what they did is they reset the game yeah um so they didn't invalidate your ships they just got rid of all the cards and then made people have the option if they wanted to use their old stuff buy new card packs. Yeah. So, because if we're talking about ballots and the right to respond, Underworld has gotten a bit kind of too big. And even if you don't think it needs it yet, I would definitely say the game needs to be reset some time soon. Or do we just keep seeing that escalation in power to the point where, you know, you'll give props to the guy who turns up with chosen axes, but you also know they're going to lose every game of the day unless they get red hot dice. Exactly. Like they're like it's it's more of a subject for another day, but in terms of balance it's an important thing because if you look at how the balance has evolved, I can easily keep track because I've been playing since the start. But you are someone who's dropped jumped in, in Diacasm, even in Beastgrave, they will have no idea or even understanding unless they've personally researched into older balance changes for the game. Yeah. And like the wealth of knowledge, like playing around control isn't easy. You have to, like, I had mumps practicing to get around it. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's a huge problem. And for balance wise, it also means, yeah, rotation helps with Games Workshop allowing them to basically reprint cards every two years instead of going, oh, I have to constantly make new cards. But they still constantly have to make new and different cards. But they, um, I they think they the, do, best the one cards is, now are, are better, aren't they? Like we were talking before the podcast about the um canaan's reapers upgrade that is both awakened weapon and potion of constitution yes that's amazing that's oh, yeah. an amazing card you know. but it's like um so beastgrave had the uh, where faction cards were too strong diachasm has toned them down but well, that doesn't feel toned look- down that feels amazing and is, if you is that the other way we so I, I, in my head you can either do an X-Wing and reset, or yeah. we just keep making new warbands so much better that the old ones are obsolete. And that seems to be the way Games Workshop are going. You know, I think it's a shame because, you know, it's quite nice to run those older warbands out from time to time, isn't it? Yeah, it's like I think of one who has aged badly, but not badly because they're terrible, just because the game's designers changes like Thunderix Prophet is. Yeah. Because the biggest balance hit to them was Surge's being restricted to six, which was good, 
for the game, but bad for them. Unless you were a they've... legend running them hold objective. <laughs> but it's like an interesting thing. I think uh, for balance-wise, we, we, we probably will just see the shift of better factions. Because uh, if you look at universals for Diachasm, you've got Labyrinth Boots, yeah. which is like Fainway Crystal, but worse. And if you read it, it can potentially give you cancer because it's so terrible I, to read. I think it's much better than Fainway Crystal because it has that beautiful uh, Diachasm text. <laughs> yeah, it's which like... is, we, you know, We've had complaints in the past that some of our card writing isn't clear enough, so we're going to put all the words on the card. <laughs> yeah. Do you like legal documents? Because this is how our cards are going to be from now on. Yeah. Like, but you the... know, and when I'm saying doing it, I'm I'm in, sort of in favour of doing an X-wing type thing. Me too. But I think a lot of that isn't necessarily completely redoing fighter cards, but it's making sure we're concise about keywords, which they're starting to introduce, and things yeah. like that. And then you have a glossary of those keywords in your rule book, and it makes life much easier. Yeah, and it's important to not have your glossary contradict the main rules because that's a, a key thing. Uh, yes. I do like the, um, the caveat in the rule book, which is if it's on a card, it supersedes the rule book. It's an amazing bit of game design because it just means, yeah, so we can just do whatever the hell we like. <laughs> yes. And I like it. Pretty much. I kind of love it. I think it's genius. It's a very Games Workshop thing. But I think overall, if if we look at like, balance in general i think yeah the the key thing and like i think people it will resonate with other people as well but the right to respond is so huge for underworlds because it's not just going i'm reacting to you whatever you're playing cards it's like um you know you're going to be charged so you go on guard or like you know you know your opponent's going to go for wants to play hold objective so you have the ability to go i'm gonna i know they're going to go onto this objective and stuff for me that's at the core of being competitive you know, the Euros are on at the moment. If you talk about football, one team doesn't attack and the others just stand still and let them have a go. You know, they are competitive. They tackle, they win the ball back, they play defensively, whatever it is. They're responding in some way. And, you know, when you transpose that down to gaming, if someone's just doing stuff and you can't stop it or prevent it or have no agency in what's happening, it ultimately leads to not a very nice game experience. And then you go, oh, I don't want to play that again. That wasn't very fun. Yeah. You know. Like, unless you're super charismatic. But, um, <laughs> like, yeah, you, you need interaction. You can't have a competitive game where, I mean, you know, we're not saying, oh, they sh- this stuff should never work. Well, you kind of are. But it's like, you shouldn't feel bad for running it, but you should be aware that it shouldn't last for quite a long period of time. Because... Those Molog decks, even though there was no guaranteed chance like Ferocious Resistance would fully heal Molog, the fact you could get Molog on three defense dice, on guard with um, like eight to nine wounds, immune to be driven back, had multiple attack dice. So even if you tried to kill him, he would inspire, heal all his wound backs and then murder everyone. You had this problem where he, he wasn't even running into, he was scoring glory for just existing. You have this problem where Molog goes you go with your warband and go i can't i can't beat molog so i can't play this warband or you go please don't play molog because we want to have a good time that's the kind of situations yeah. we're arising yeah like, like we when we play no one takes molog yeah. like, one, yeah, of, I, one of the other robs was saying i might bring molog this week <laughs> and everyone just went well you won't get a game and he went oh yeah fair enough 
Well, it's like, so the first tournament I turned up to with Molog, which I won, there were four to five or even six Mologs. After that tournament, we all agreed not to run Molog again. Not because it was like, oh, you know, we destroyed everyone. We were just like, this wasn't even fun. It was depressing aggro because you either barely won or you completely decimated your opponent because Molog starts at three damage and it's so easy to get him to four damage. It's funny. I know that it's... uh... (laughs) I'd rather play Molog than Wraith Creepers at the moment. I don't oh, know what. Yeah, Wraith Creepers are a future problem. Yeah, Wraith Creepers, for balance wise, Wraith Creepers are a big problem that need to be hit. Otherwise, they're going to destroy the game. Uh, but that's a problem know. for the future. Yeah, maybe, maybe not. No one seems to be running them. That's the reason because of, like, firstly, Molog was semi keeping them in check, but also because how how would you describe? your game against my Wraith Creepers with their minimum, like, 15 pushes. <laughs> Describe it as one-sided. <laughs> yes, that's, that's being cut. Is that the one where I scored a glory, or the one where I didn't score no, any glory? No, you didn't score anything. <laughs> yeah. Did that make it to your YouTube channel? Please please tell me it didn't. <laughs> no, I couldn't upload that one. That was just... I was like, you were doing everything right, but literally it was it ended like 16-0, and I was like, I can't this. this. I had four distractions in that deck, and you were still all inspired by the end of round one. And I'm like, yeah, this this feels awful. <laughs> but that's that's another Yeah. That's like Grave Creepers are like oppressive aggro. And that's why I'm saying, you know, if you if you're into that kind of oppressive, I don't want my opponent to interact, Grave Creepers are the way forward. I mean but at, at it least will be you're rolling lost. dice and stuff with them. Yeah, but it's yeah. oppressive aggro. It's like in the it's this as just as bad as total control because it's like it removes the risk of being kept yeah, out. I still so that you know if we're talking about that right to respond, I still have that hope that I might roll a crit. I didn't at no point did I roll a crit. <laughs> but I still got the hope that I might roll one. Oh, he's only rolled yeah. two hammers. I might I might roll a crit here and still be one hex away from him. But still, you know, yeah. Um, I mean. But yeah, that's the important thing. Like the right to respond. If if there's anything you take away from this podcast episode, it's that you know the right to respond is important. And if you look for your, if you think back to your games, you'll probably realize the most fun you had when it was a back and forth experience where you reacted to your opponent's stuff and they reacted to yours. Not just when you literally. I've rarely met anyone who said, "Oh, my favorite game was where I just face rolled everyone." No one. I've generally met no one who said that. I mean, you know, hold hands up. There's a satisfying thing when you go, flip me, I just scored my entire deck. Everything went according to plan. And I feel quite good about that. I then feel terribly guilty and spend 20 minutes apologizing to my opponent. No, you see, what you should do is play um, Godsworn Hunt because there was a game where I scored 18 glory, my entire objective deck, and I still lost 26. (laughs) My opponent was on 26. And I was like... My opponent was like, what happened, John? I've only scored 11 objectives. Like, I know, I've scored everything, and I've still lost. I, I don't know what's going on with this game anymore. You've got to put some <laughs> two glory objectives in your deck. Oh, uh, <laughs> don't talk to me about the gods one on. But yeah, I hope, yeah, the takeaway is like, with balance, always remember there is hope, even if it takes six months for a balance update. But the right to respond is the most important thing about the game. And even if you disagree with what we've said in terms of balance and playstyles, I hope you do take away that the right to respond, the right to respond, is how Underworld should be as a core concept. So, like, uh, is there anything else you want to add, Rob? No, I'd go with that. Yeah, and I suppose if people do want to respond to thoughts or whatever, get in touch. You yeah, know, I'm happy to chat about this stuff all day. 
Yeah, we, we basically do it all the time. We basically do chat about this stuff all day. So you always have the right to respond to Rob on his Instagram <laughs> at Rob Hobbies on Instagram. You know, you, and just, you gave me a on. shout out on my Instagram on YouTube the other day and my number of followers went down. Oh, I'm <laughs> so sorry. <laughs> oh, no. Damn. I mean, if you want to see his followers go down, check out my YouTube yeah. Can You Roll a Crit? <laughs> Uh, but that's um but yeah the right to respond is important but i hope you enjoyed today's episode it's a little bit more centered around the latest um forsaken and restricted list but hopefully it's still topical when you watch back no matter what time it is but it's goodbye from me and goodbye from me with two ronnies again are we yeah that's (laughs) yeah you're the only one who gets that you know it's like literally everyone just awkwardly pauses and i'm like come on we're not i'm not that i wanted to leave an uncomfortable silence that's not cool Uh, okay so we're going to go and talk about (laughs) sabrina the teenage witch and balance so (laughs) keep rolling crits and stay safe